you're listening to 2XXFM 98.3. For the next 30 minutes, we delve into local current affairs from an informed and independent perspective on the program Subject ACT. I'm Becca Posterino. Lovely to have your company today. This morning, we complete our series on ACT community councils in the lead up to the ACT election. I spoke to President of the Gungahlin Community Council, Peter Alford, and President of the Woden Valley Community Council, Martin Miller, to address community concerns and opportunities. The Gungahlin community has experienced continuous development and growth, and resulting in the need for better access to the town centre and surrounding suburbs, as well as the need for improved access to local public schools and community resources. Although locals view development in a positive light, According to the President of the Gungahlin Community, they would like to see improvements to roads and access to public schools. Similarly, the Woden Valley community have experienced rapid development. However, as an ageing town centre, upgrades to facilities are needed, including the bus interchange. There is also an absence of a community indoor sporting facility with the closure of the Woden basketball courts and widespread community interest for a Woden Valley Arts Precinct or community centre. Successful ACT candidates will have the opportunity to respond to these local community concerns beyond the ACT election in October. You're listening to 2XXFM 98.3 on local current affairs program Subject ACT. Stay with us now as I speak to President of Gungahlin Community Council, Peter Alford. I'm Becca Posterino, Current Affairs Coordinator for 2XXFM. Lovely to have your company today. Welcome to the program, Peter. Good morning. Welcome, Becca. So what are some of the most important issues for the Gungahlin community right now? We're a developing community, really quite unique amongst uh, all the community councils, or I guess regions in Canberra, in that we are one of the fastest growing regions in, in all of Australia. So the issues that we find our residents uh, talking to us about are, are pretty much dominated by things that are typical of a developing community. So transport is, is frequently comes up and that means roads and it means public transport and it just means accessibility to the region as it gets built out and you need to make sure the roads are kept up. Once you've got the roads and transport underway, then it's access to the standard facilities every community expects. So that's schools and at the moment we have something of a, a crisis around the amount of free places in schools. and Not enough. Absolutely. A lot of pressure. And the ACD government, of course, has an obligation to provide a spot for every student, and, and that's what they're working to, to do. But residents are finding is that when they go to put kids in schools outside the priority capture zone for the schools, they're being rejected. And so that creates a level of tension because mm. there's just no slack in the system. And then, of course, healthcare facilities, perhaps not as big a concern in Gungahlin because of a younger demographic. And then it's the other things that come along with development, you know, good retail, uh, good uh, entertainment facilities. We've got a cinema precinct being developed, but not there yet. Mm. They're the sort of things that drive most of the community. And then, of course, out of all of those things is being clear what the plan is and then being able to guide and uh, ensure uh, got, have some input to the planning process and ensure that the outcomes of that planning process are good. You mentioned public transport. So are you someone that is behind the light rail proposal or seems like it's under construction? Are you behind this project? It's a little bit less about what I think and yeah. it's more about what, what the community, uh, the community and, guess, and therefore yeah. the community council thinks. So our position on the light rail is driven by a survey we conducted in 2014, which is perhaps a little while ago now, where there was over 76% of residents indicated support for the light rail project. Mm-hmm. So that's... 
for the sample we had, which was about 1,700 respondents, that's a really large yes. percentage of the community and a very strong indicator of very strong support, which is hardly surprising. Mm. It, it addresses not only the obvious transport opportunity, but it addresses some of the lack of facilities, challenges I described before. You know, it helps with the development of the town centre and gives you a sort of anchor piece of infrastructure. And of course, it's having uh, it's already having the impact on the value of property and that's all obviously of interest to the residents in Gungahlin. So it's it's no surprise then Mm. that it's generally positively conveyed. Now having said that, you know, not all people are on board for some of the reasons being articulated by the opposition. Mm. So not much opposition in Gungahlin to the I I, I don't it's not for me to make a call on on what the political mood is in Gungahlin, but certainly we've got very strong evidence from our survey that Mm. we get I would say a majority of residents indicating preference for it but we're like every community there's people who don't think it's a good idea for as I said the reasons articulated by the opposition Mm. it's too expensive or it's too little for one Mm. it's only for one community well it happens to be our community that's fortunate to be the first cab off the rank. Need of it I would say with the traffic issues that are clearly evident in Gungahlin and yes to a lack of planning you can speak that but we can't turn back the clock. How do you think we can best address the current issues with traffic congestion? public transport, obviously we've covered that, but as a representative for your community and living in the community, how do you think we could best address the current issues of uh, transport? I think, I think, Becker, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, it, it really is a case of when an investment's being made in new properties or a new office block or generally, you know, I guess, new suburbs being built. At the time the suburbs being built out, then the roads to service that suburb need to be immediately upgraded and not just the intersections at which point the new suburb attaches to the old infrastructure. And so we have situations with Horse Park Drive, which was completed as a single lane each way road Mm. in in the last, I guess, last nine or 12 months. And already intersections there are being torn up and rebuilt to support the Throsby, the suburb of Throsby, Mm. and and those those portions of Horse Park Drive are older. But then the suburb of Taylor's being built. That's very new road. It's probably less than a year road yet year old that it's being torn up to mm. build a new intersection and then of course they'll duplicate just the intersection and there'll be mm. single lane in between it's, a, it's just Band-aids. taking that longer term picture which you know 30 40 years ago when the mm. ncdc built canberra that was commonplace but in the current regime it seems to be that it's a case of delaying these upgrades to a later point having said that the program of works that's on underway now is certainly helping a lot and the initial upgrades to gungahlin drive near mitchell it's noticeably better yes. uh, in terms of the southward bound commute in the morning you speak to that you make the commute you know what it feels like in the morning to be stuck in your car in those areas where you can't actually move and there's a stream of movement and then there's that not always you know my, my i'm fortunate my job allows me to work from home and you mm. know gungahlin is blessed by being also one of the first areas to receive the nbn in australia and so for me i frequently in fact most normally will work from home for a couple sure. of hours before i do the commute so and when I commute, it, it takes yes. no time at all because there's no traffic at you know nine thirty or ten o'clock. So, but a lot you know, of that's people one don't of the, have that luxury, I guess. And yeah, g- great for true. you, but yeah, people don't. So it's 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 a valid issue that really needs. Oh yeah. Oh no no. It's most people are really happy in Gungahlin, and yes. but if pressed, they'll say yeah. Well, the roads could be better. Are there any other concerns as a community leader with, within the Gungahlin community that you'd like to bring forward and communicate to listeners? The message I'd like everyone in Canberra to hear, but certainly the people in Gungahlin is get involved. And we certainly see the government trying to do its best in engaging the community in processes of 
design and development. I don't think their processes are perfect, but I think the process of community engagement is fundamentally really, really hard. The case study in that might be the uh, the Infinity Towers projects. So this is a proposal to build two residential towers of 22 and 20 storeys on land originally zoned for office blocks. Mm. Now, this is in Gungalan. That's correct. Now, when that, that proposal was brought to the attention of the community council we had a public presentation at our public meeting we published the content provided by the proponents of that project on our website the development went through the da the development approval process so people were notified and so now that's been approved and it's under construction but we get no shortage of people saying what the heck Mm. how did that happen no one told me Mm. and or no one asked me and i think that's one of the challenges is making sure that people are aware that they should be engaged them need to be informed and are invited in to that planning process so that that you don't have the uh, the surprise at the end so yeah my my message would be try and be as informed as possible Mm. and if you're not getting what you want out of your government then make it clearer what you want but in this modern age it's very easy for very extreme views who might be say in this example pro tower or anti tower Mm. to have a disproportionate say or have a disproportionate voice in the debate and i think it'd be very interesting to see what the chief minister's proposal for this proportional consultative approach might be Mm. to address that and certainly we the gungan community council indeed all the community councils in canberra are very interested in how that would might evolve interesting that you meant consultative i've spoken to various chairs of other communities within canberra and that is a common theme in particular with property development and da's and how that process actually unfolds and there does need improvement there's always room for improvement but i guess the message you're conveying is reflective of most councils is that Mm. community involvement actually broadens the discussion and looking at the cracks in between i'm not too sure and this is a question not conviction I'm not too sure that that information is being deliberated effectively because people do have that aftershock. They're not necessarily involved, you know, the beginning of the process. They're Mm. not aware. They don't know where to look. They don't know how to interpret Mm. the jargon that's within these GAs if they were to find them on the websites. So I guess my question is how do we best address communicating these changes or is that just stifling business or the process of development? Do we we want that balance between the naysayers just for naysaying, but also we, we do need that community sort of interaction so that this is a city for everyone. It's not a city for developers or government. It's a city, it's a lived in city. So how do we get that balance in your view? The answer to that is, lies somewhere at the end of a, a week long workshop workshop <laughs> with experts because yes, I don't think I, I don't think it's a, it's a well a, understood problem. Mm. Well, maybe maybe the challenge is understood, mm. but I think the solutions for it are, are unclear. Otherwise, you'd see more of it. Sure. And, you know, development and approval processes and community engagement are not unique challenges yes. f- for Canberra. You know, you s- local councils in Sydney are notorious for, for being difficult to deal with. And Victoria too. Uh, <laughs> indeed, uh, for those of us uh, uh, from that part of the world. Yeah. But um, I think there is a, a piece around individuals being aware that they – can and yes. should be involved if, yes. if they care about the outcome. What mechanisms you put in place, and you know, I think of what we do at the Community Council, we have a face-to-face public meeting weekly, mm-hmm. we have a hard copy newsletter, we have an online newsletter, we have a Facebook group. Yeah. Our Twitter account's pretty inactive because we don't have anyone th- to keep that active. We need to do all of those things sure. and more somehow to engage with the community and get them aware of what's going on. Mm. But I, I think we probably need to instill in our children, you know, the, yes. the the notion that it is not only 
a good idea to have your say. It's kind of your responsibility Absolutely. to have your say. And the challenge then is to work out how a government can do that. I mean, there's a long history in Canberra of the government proposing stuff and then you know, waiting for people to, to comment and adapt it as opposed to somehow doing a co-development in a consultative way. And, mm. and there are mechanisms to do that, mm. but they're usually pretty slow, pretty difficult, mm. and you do get this sort of... Argy-bargy. You get an argy-bargy, mm. and often you will get people coming in with a, either an agenda to run yes, or they won't know the full context. And obviously the challenge there is to provide the context to be mm. able to have the right conversation. I wish I knew the answer to that because mm. I'd charge off and implement it not only with the community <laughs> council but in a couple in of other things I'm involved in. Life, yeah. no, to discussion, I think, that will be continuing. But I really think it's an important question to ask, particularly the presidents and chairs of these community councils. Mm. You're at the forefront of these discussions and these conflicts, so thanks for your insights. Property development, as we've we've been discussing, is a continuing trend with the cost for land being excessive, particularly in Gungahlin. David Allery from the Canberra Times last year claimed the price of small blocks of land in Gungahlin skyrocketed by 141%. I'm sure you can confirm that or you may have an awareness of that. In just over five years, and that's far outstripping the growth, these are his words, in house prices during the same period. My question to you is, do you think that the Land Development Agency is profiteering from the inflated cost of land? And what pressure is this putting, more importantly, on the Gungahlin community who want to buy into the area? Do you think this pressure is excessive because of this? The price of anything, in most cases, is demand-driven. So if there's a lot of demand, it will drive up the price. And I think it's fair to say that you know, just, just to, to the, the, the Ellery article, I, I think some of the day there's a little bit... Mm-hmm. I won't say tricky, but carefully selected because there's been a it's been a little while since land was available, and we had yeah. some land in Moncrief, and then the that land article in, was in from Throsby. November 2015. That's back to I think the first release in the Throsby land. Yes. So it's you know it's a brand new housing estate. You know, it's been a bit of a hiatus while it's developed, and everyone's suddenly excited and charges off and pays mm. arguably too much for it compared with you know, what the norm is, there's a piece around, well, there's a lot of market demand. So Mm. people want to live in Gungahlin. It's great news. It's just there's a price to pay. Now, having said that, I I think for a long time, the supply of land in Canberra has been fairly rigidly controlled, that may be code for, limited, therefore driving the prices up, simply because one of the chief sources of revenue, at least my perception is, for the government is is through the sale of land and stamp duties as a result. And so it's in the interest of the ACD government to keep the land market buoyant because mm. it ends up helping us pay for roads and infrastructure and so on. I think there needs to be a level of openness and transparency about mm. that. If, and if I'm wrong, okay, well, I'm happy to mm-hmm. acknowledge that. But that seems to be one of the issues. The other problem, of course, is you know people like living in Canberra. It's not just Gungala. So that drives prices up. So I think the LDA... And as the, the government's developer do end up playing a role in, you know, the word manipulation and mm. control are both pretty strong, but mm. the nature of the, you don't want to flood all the land out and mm. drive down the price. At the same time, maybe it's being dribbled out at a rate that mm. does keep the price up. It's both a very simple conversation, mm. supply and demand, but it's more complicated around the nature of the ACT. You know, the next question is, so what are you going to do about it? I think the government's the current government's move to try and move away from a stamp duty regime to a tax a rates-based regime mm. is, is, is great because, in theory, that moves the burden of revenue away from flogging off land to, you know, just people have got land and they're paying their rates. And mm. I, I think that, seem, that seems to me to be a right trend because it avoids this artificial drive to okay. maximise the revenue from yeah. a certain mechanism, in this case, the sale of land. 
Thank you very much, Peter Alford, uh, President of Gungahlin Community Council, for coming into the studio today. Thanks, Rebecca. You're listening to Local Current Affairs on Subject ACT 98.3 2XXFM. That was my interview with President of the Gungahlin Community Council, Peter Alford, on the Gungahlin Community's call to local candidates to invest in improved road and traffic conditions as development rapidly increases in the town. Coming up next, my conversation with President of Woden Valley Community Council, Martin Miller, expressing key opportunities and concerns on behalf of his community. You're listening to Local Current Affairs on Subject ACT, 98.3 FM, on 2XX Community Radio. Martin, welcome to the show. Good morning, Becca. Firstly, what are the most important issues for the Woden Valley community? At the moment, Woden is an ageing town centre. It was one of the first uh, districts to be constructed in, in 1963. So a lot of facilities are ageing there at the moment. We've got the bus interchange, which is planned to be upgraded. That was with a, an extension to the Westfield shopping mall, but they've sort of put that on hold indefinitely. So that planned upgrade to the interchange, which was tied into that, is on hold. We would like to see that the government go ahead independently and improve that bus station. They've already started works on removing. So the government should go ahead and independently upgrade that bus interchange. They've already started works on creating some new stairs from the Woden Town Square into the bus interchange as well. But there's things like Woden doesn't have community centre, an arts facility like some of the other town centres do. And also, too, the government's invested into some outdoor sporting facilities, which is good. You know, we've seen the upgrade of Woden Athletics Park, investing money into the Phillip Oval uh, to make that a second-tier grade facility or, or mainly a training facility. And also, uh, Melrose High School will be getting a synthetic grass oval like some of the other schools that already have mm. them. The issue is, is with indoor sports facilities, we've seen the closure of the Woden uh, basketball courts. There's other facilities as well. I mean, at the moment, we have... The Woden Valley Gymnastics Club trains in Weston. The basketball court, their home courts are in Tuggeranong. Same with the Woden Swim Club are in Tuggeranong as well. So we would like to see all those clubs come back to Woden in a multi-purpose indoor facility. We've seen that the Philip Pool and Ice Skating Rink has really just sat there for so long. It was fully privatised in 2008, but there's been no upgrade or no improvements made except for ongoing maintenance there. There is progress, but it's slow, and your community is is seeking from their candidates to address some of these issues? Yes, a, a commitment, particularly, I mean, there's, there's been a few um, election commitments that sort of been made long-term, but nothing sort of within the next term of government. While these, some of these facilities could be costly, but, I mean, so is light rail. Light rail has been announced as the second stage. That's quite a costly project, you know. Everyone wants improvements in transport and uh, better public transport, but... Also, these other facilities need to be built as well, but whether they can be done at the same time or, you know, is, is an issue. How does your community at large feel about the light rail, considering Gungahlin's a priority to the first stage of light rail? Woden is definitely on the agenda in the future. How does your community at large feel about the light rail? I think it's mixed, really. I don't think there's an overwhelming support like some parts of the, say, inner north or, or maybe some areas of Gungahlin. I think it's very mixed up. I mean, I've heard that from some candidates that there is, you know, there is a bit of a backlash against the light rail. Now that it's been announced coming to Woden, you know, I'm not sure whether that's turned people's ideas around to, you know, improve public transport because it is a costly project. You know, mm. we're looking at a billion dollars again for that stage. 
what can subsidise that route is obviously value capture along the route. There are limited spots, mm-hmm. particularly along Adelaide Avenue, Yarra, Yarra Glen, to sort of maximise for that route. When you say value capture, I'm not familiar with that. Well, it means that um, those living or land increases in value. On uh, the route. Al- along that route. Okay. Because it's a fixed uh, mode of transport. I mean, so is bus rapid transit, but the uh, government hasn't sort of gone in that direction. Sure. That means dedicated lanes and dedicated yes. um, stations and that sort of thing as well. But uh, also in the town centre, you'll you know, there's already um, several apartments going up there at the moment. So mm. I'd say that you know, with that announcement, developers and, and the government will be looking to maximise that mm. announcement with uh, future developments. Considering community opposition to the Goodwin Farrah project and that opposition, what are the avenues of appeal and likelihood of successful outcomes for the Woden Valley community? Well, this is a redevelopment of the existing Goodwin Farrah residents at there at, along, well, it's, it's in between Mawson and Farrah there, along Beasley Street, looking to demolish and rebuild in, in that section. They uh, had approved their first development application, but it was appealed by several Farrah residents. It was 38 submissions. And what was found in the uh, Administrative Civil and Appeals Tribunal was that uh, though that the development complies with the zone in every respect, that three buildings have to be redesigned to, to comply with that community facility zone. So it's a sort of like half and half, uh, I think, between the community and, um, and also Goodwin. At the moment, Goodwin is seeking further information from ACAT. As, as what the ruling actually means. I mean, there's still major concerns, particularly, you know, when community talks about loss of amenity and, and, and that sort of thing, visual amenity, that's sort of not really not taken into account. There are some overshadowing issues. What are those? The, when, when the building overshadows, its shadow actually affects surrounding residents. Right, so they, um, they lose valuable light. It, there is a minimum requirement of at least three hours, which I think yeah, most residents will get anyway. I mean, who really determines what, how much sunlight you should have, you know? I mean, if you originally had more than that, you know... And that's a hard say, adjustment, isn't it? That's right. And also people's views are, uh, you know, they like living in that area. And, and I think Goodwin here, they could have looked at, rather than building all apartments, I think there are some people that still like to live in that townhouse type of style development could have upgraded some of their existing facilities while building extra apartments Mm. or independent living for people that Mm. want to downsize. It's a question of maximising their land as developers. Their agenda is to maximise the land that they have and going up as often. The trend, we've spoken with other community leaders, this presents a whole myriad of problems for existing community Mm. and getting that balance right can be often tricky and often the information that's available to community members isn't really forthcoming. Yeah, well, that's right. You look at the equivalents, because this is a community facility under a different planning zone, this would be rated sort of a high-density development because of where the buildings are laid out, even though it's you know between five and six storeys, there's still quite a high-density development that you would want to see or see around either the town centres or a major group centre, but rather than in the middle of a suburb anyway. To change track, the Hindmarsh intersection has always had a high vehicle crash history. Are you satisfied with the funding allocated to improve this intersection and will it be sufficient? Well, what they're planning to do there is is at the three insects, so the off-ramp of the Tuggerong Parkway coming south onto Highmarsh Drive, also at the Launceston Highmarsh Drive intersection, which goes into Lyons, and also at the Eggleston Crescent. Yes. What they're planning to do there is install three two lines and add an extra lane off, off the Tuggerong off-ramp 
as well because so that's been a high yeah yeah yeah, it's been a high that's right there will be increased traffic delays obviously but it's how you signal how you phase the signals the Launceston and Heimer and Eggleston can work together but it's always been difficult there at peak times Mm. either coming into the suburb or getting out of the suburb there's a lot of traffic coming along Highmarsh Drive there in the mornings it would have been an opportunity to open uh, where McDonald Street comes down. It actually lines up with uh, Launceston. There could have been an opportunity to put a make that a four-way intersection, but they discounted that earlier on, basically because of the issues with creating a new intersection there or a new roadway, well, increased traffic along that McDonald Street into Chifley. I mean, it is wide enough. Rather than having uh, two sets of lights there, and it also would improve the um, bus route that goes through there because the action bus route was changed because of their delays of getting across yes. that intersection. So they actually actually go down minor streets in Chifley, which is which has made some of the residents not happy about that, to go completely around that and then back up through lines. So there's a bit of a detour, a longer detour, even though mm. it's on account so, of yeah, the traffic So yeah, so once these heavy. lights are put in, that should improve that okay. and, and action route will be restored. Restored, mm. The looking at the other end of Eggleston Street, there there was a high crash history at um, the uh, Melrose Drive, Eggleston. Yes, they've uh, installed lights there. That was you know that was sort of uh, looked at for black spot funding because there's only a limited amount of money for the black spot funding, mm. and same for for this, which when this was looked at for Eggleston Crescent as well, at Timeush Drive. The designs and the feasibility showed that they were sort of quite costly. I mean, you know, $1.5 or $2 million in a black spot funding annual. I think it's up to a $1 million or whatever. Mm. So they looked to do a lot of projects within that time frame. What opportunities will your community put forward at the upcoming uh, Murrumbidgee Electric Candidates Forum? So we're having our Murrumbidgee Electric Candidates Forum on the October 5th at the Canberra Southern Cross Club at 7.30pm. And I guess it's an opportunity for residents of Woden to to hear from the candidates that are hoping to represent them. This will be the first time that um, all Woden suburbs will be in one electorate. Previously, uh, we were split between two electorates yes. of uh, Malonglo and um, Brindabella. What does that mean for your community now, in your view? Well, hopefully it will mean better representation. Mm-hmm. We'll have um, actually people, candidates, get elected. If they get elected, we'll actually be living in Woden be on the in the assembly so they were able to lobby for the issues of Woden we hope mm. anyway they may not be the issues that uh, the council agree uh, wants them to put forward but hopefully there are issues you know ongoing issues whether it's parking pay parking in the Phillip business district other issues that we've mentioned like the community centre mm-hmm. an art centre and and uh, indoor sports facilities yeah. that are that are a major issue is your community satisfied with the transparency of government and business in relation to property development in Woden Valley? It's difficult to look at that. Uh, you know, obviously we do have a, a, a planning directorate. For major developments, the um, developer comes to us to present you know, their um, plans or designs in that sort of respect. But also the government is a developer as well, you know, the Land Development AG. You've got your upcoming event, the Electorates Forum, on the October the 5th at the Southern Cross Club at 7.30pm. Is there anything else on the horizon that you'd like to promote? Probably after the, in our November, uh, we'll have our annual junior meeting. That, that's a time that um, all positions are made available and people can uh, put their hand up to, to join the uh, Wayne Valley Community Council as well. So that'll be on the first Wednesday of uh, November. Mm-hmm. 
and then and whereabouts is that being held? It's going to be held at the Canberra Southern Cross Club, but okay. that's our yeah. You know, we'd yeah you know, we'd love to have our meetings at a community centre, but sure. <laughs> we we certainly don't have one there at the moment. That's our uh, venue for the rest of the year and for the time being at uh, the Canberra Southern Cross Club. And for everyone to come along to the Candidates Forum, it's important. Um, I mean, you may have seen, the residents may have seen some candidates out there, all their um, signs on the highway, but um, there's nothing better than talking to them or asking a question of them face-to-face. Martin Miller, President of the Woden Community Council, thank you so much for your insights today. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Becca. You're tuned into independent local current affairs program Subject ACT on 2XXFM 98.3. That was my conversation with President of the Woden Valley Community Council, Martin Miller, on community expectations regarding key issues. That concluded my series on ACT community councils. Next week, I change tact and explore the issue of restorative justice and how Vipassana meditation and mindfulness may be informing research into the effectiveness of the prison experience in the ACT. I speak to Dr Anthony Hopkins, who is a senior lecturer at the ANU School of Law, for his insights into restorative justice. And tomorrow, Doug Dobing presents Tuesday's edition of Subject ACT. Coming up next, Community Radio Network's topical storytelling, all the best. Tune in each weekday, 8.30 till 9am on independent community radio station 2XXFM 98.3 or stream us live on www.2XXFM.org.au backslash listen. I'm Becca Postorino, Current Affairs Coordinator for 2XXFM and Executive Producer of Subject ACT. Enjoy your day.